All right. I need you to think back, really. Uh, some, some of you, maybe not so long ago, some of you really long ago. How many of you ever had to do like an all-nighter cramming for a test uh, the next day? Anybody do all-nighters cramming for tests? Yes. Anybody? How many of you never did an all-nighter ever? Ever? No? They, these are the no, the, the no all-nighter. These are the people you want to be around. These are the prepared people, all right, for the rest of us. Uh, yeah, tests... Uh, tests are were those uh, evil things that we all had to do. Sometimes we had to prepare way in advance. Sometimes we had found ourselves getting ready for it. But we've all been in moments where we've had to do tests. If you've been in school for any amount of time, uh, you've had to take a test. And kind of universally, everybody kind of hates tests for the most part, right? Why do we have tests? That's what everybody's asking, right? If you're a student, you think, I know why they have tests, because they want to torture our lives. And that's the simple answer to the question. Now, for the, are there any, are any teachers, have you ever taught a class, uh, whether it's school or church or anything, if you're a teacher, raise your hand. Just, I'm gonna see all the teachers, all right? You guys know, anyone that's actually a teacher knows why we have tests. Because everyone can say, uh, yeah, you know, uh, we don't like tests and tests are the worst and all that stuff, but you understand what tests actually do is that tests actually say, uh, they tell you exactly what you really know, right? Test is the thing that tells you what you know for sure. And the reason that teachers do that is they wanna know, does my, is my student actually getting this? Is there a certainty in their mind about what we're trying to accomplish, right? Tests give us certainty, right? Tests produce certainty, right? It's a security of knowing. That's the point of it. We can all look and think that they're generally evil and trying to you know, uh, get us in a tough place, but really that's the whole point of a test. I don't know um, if you've ever had to work on a project before to see if it would work. Uh, my, my oldest son, he had to, for one of his school projects, he had to build a lyre, a lyre, which is like a mini harp. Um, and so he had to build one from scratch. And so he created the pattern and then he got a piece of wood and he cut the wood, cut the wood and then he fashioned it, and then he sanded it down, and then he put all the stain on it, lacquer and everything, and then he drilled the holes for the pegs, and he attached the strings, and then it was finally done. But you know that when you get to the end of it, you have to apply stress or pressure to the string to find out if it's actually going to work and if you're going to get an F or an A on this project. And so he gets it and he, and he grabs it and he plucks the string and it makes a noise. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. And then all of a sudden he's like, Mary had a little lamb. Like just right, on, right there on the, and he, all of a sudden he's playing a song. And I'm like, this thing actually works. He created an instrument from scratch. It was incredible. It was a fun thing to see, but you don't know if the thing actually works unless you apply the test, put the pressure and pull the string to see if it actually works. Testing brings security, accomplishes that thing that we all want, right? I don't know anybody that doesn't want to feel secure, to be secure. Testing has a way of bringing that. That's one of those deeply held needs as we're going through this series and just asking that question. What is it that we all actually need? And one of those deep down needs that we all have is a security in knowing 
It's something that the whole world is desperate for, right? Let's think about that, because the last two years have been anything but secure. Can we just agree? Kind of been a crazy, right? I mean, for the last two years, uh, if someone sneezes, everybody looks at them like, leper, you know, like, go to the colony, you know, like, get out. Like, that's been the word, literally, two years, right? Come on, don't, don't pretend like you haven't been in public, and you thought you had to sneeze, and you've, like, clamped down on your nose, and, like, I'm not doing this, right? You might shove it out the other end, but you're not going there. You're like, I'm holding this in, right? Everyone's thought that that's the, that was what the last two years have produced for us, right? The world's more uncertain and the world is less secure than it ever has been in any time in any of our lives. And we all feel the weight of that. And then you see in, you things across the earth. We have our Ukrainian brothers and sisters that are in the, the most insecure moment of their lives. And it's painful to watch. And we see that. We've seen that in Afghanistan last year. And we've seen it in North Korea and uh, places across the earth where things are not secure. Before that, we had, if you go all the way to the beginning, if you actually think about our brothers and sisters who first followed Jesus, the first ones to follow him, let me tell you, there was nothing secure for that. It felt like, it felt like there was nothing secure in their lives. In fact, we're going to look at this scripture in Romans 8 because it's kind of astonishing what Paul is going to actually utter out of his mouth in light of what the brothers and sisters that were following Jesus were experiencing in that day. It was anything but secure. And they were trying to walk through that moment to find that place of certainty where it feels like there is none. Right, And this is what Paul's going to bring with this word. In Romans chapter 8, you can turn to verse 30. We're just going to start in verse 38. And so here's what Romans 8 says. Here's what Paul says. He's listen. For I am sure, meaning I'm certain, I'm convinced, I'm confident, secure, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things that are to come that we don't know about, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that's a powerful security that he's declaring. The question is, how does a man walk with that kind of security? I mean, how does he actually experience that? radical love of God. Like I know beyond a shadow of doubt, there was a knowing in him. The question is how? And the answer is, well, he was tested in some of the most profound ways. If you just go back a couple of verses, Romans chapter eight, verse 35, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What's he saying there? What's he doing, right? He's recounting all the ways that he's gone through tests and trials in his life, in his own life. And he's walked through with this new, profound, meaningful faith, but it's been tested in painful ways, 
And not just him, but all the brothers and sisters had experienced some version of that. Now, I just quick pause here. Because you know, none of that seems just super great when you think about stepping into faith. And just being honest with you that it's uh, super easy. This is not, I mean, Paul's not espousing a, uh, hey, get saved and all your wildest dreams will come true. That's not what's happening. This is a be saved so that you can be set free from sin and shame and forever be alive to God, to be able to know that when this is all said and done, you'll have a king who'll look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Those are two totally different things. And Paul's setting it and going, hey, this faith is serious. It's more than a pie in the sky reality. I've been through the hardest parts of it. And you Romans have seen some of the hardest parts of it is what he's saying, that our faith can, faith can be tested in that way. And we've all experienced measures of those kinds of things, right? Those testings that we experience. What are some of the ways that we're tested? I was just trying to recount and think through some of the ways that we're tested, right? When major changes happen in our lives, right? When those things come about that we weren't, that we didn't foresee, Right? COVID-19 has been certainly that, led to a ton of major changes that most of us weren't asking for, but it has. We get tested by undeserved criticism where people are treating us unfairly or people trying to bring harm to us in some way or another. We're, we're tested with unanswered prayers or, or maybe a better way to put it is prayers that don't get answered in the timing and the ways that we want them to. But it brings a, a test. It begins to bring the question to the surface. We get tested by delayed promises. You ever had just something that God's promised you and you're just going, it feels like a million miles away. Like it sounds good, preacher, but man, that feels like forever away. That's a test. We're tested by those uh, impossible problems, right? Where we've lost our jobs or we've had personal economic difficulty or, or someone that you love is making really hard and bad decisions and you're trying to navigate through it. Or we get tested by tragedies. Right? I think probably we've all experienced in some way where there was some, some accident, something tragic that happened to death that took someone's life way too soon, a natural disaster that brings some kind of devastation. You feel the weight of it. We've all walked through it. Just four, uh, it was about, actually about seven years ago, I, 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 I officiated and oversaw uh, two funerals, six days apart. Both were stillborn babies. I can't even describe to you the grief that these families experience. This is real life stuff. And we walk through these moments. So when Paul says tribulation and famine and danger and nakedness and sword, he's saying, I know what it's like to walk in very real life as a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to plant and build up the church 
everywhere he went. But he knew that even though he would go through those testings and those hardships, that there was a God who was there in the midst of it. Those hardships, if you will, those tests, they weren't pushing him away from the Lord. What he was saying is, those are pushing me further into the Lord. Those are pressing my heart into deeper, convinced love of God. How? How is that, right? Because all that testing begins to produce something that is rock solid and unshakable inside of us. And this is the point and the purpose of walking through that, right? That no matter what, that it helped pull him through into something that was rooted deeper and more profound inside of him. That's what he was experiencing so that he could live and walk in a way where he was not shaken. Though the mountains crumble. And the truth is that God so radically loves us, so radically loves us that he'll allow and even encourage moments of testing in our lives because he's out to produce a deep down powerful faith that can't be shaken. That's what God wants for every one of us. If you've ever tried to understand or interpret some of the hardships that you've faced, and let me tell you, uh, there's an evil one out to what the scripture calls steal, kill, and destroy. I guarantee you, I'm not looking at anyone, certainly not anyone that's joining us online that hasn't walked through something like that. God has purpose and design, even in the most vile and broken things. He's ready to meet us in it. I love how James, Jesus' own brother, he says it this way. He says, I want you to count it all joy. Brothers and sisters, when you meet those trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you become perfect and complete. You lack nothing, meaning that every hardship and trial that we face it's not the evidence that God isn't with us or for us. In fact, it's those moments to push us to lean into the Lord in ways we never have before and find his goodness in it. That's what the Lord's calling us into, to becoming complete. And that's just what is so powerful about who God is. That's what's powerful about who God is in those moments is meeting us in those real places. Because in Christ, no matter what, we are forever secure. I hear that. And this has to be, it has to be the calling card of our lives. It has to be the thing that we lean on because none of us has certainty about this world. What our certainty is in is in Christ alone. That's where our certainty is for everyone. That's the place of certainty. It has to be. And so how do we lean into that kind of security and certainty in our lives? And I think the step 1A is we just start leaning into what the word of God actually says. We look at this text in Romans chapter 8 from a 
Papa in the faith like Paul, who just says, listen, I'm convinced there is nothing in all this life. He says, death or life, angels, demons, height, depth, nothing is pulling you away from the radical love of God, nothing. Nothing can take that. Well, I love to look at uh, one of my favorite scriptures. It's my low-key, one of my favorite scriptures because it just feels like, Jesus, I, I, I can only imagine his face when he says this, this in John chapter 10. He says, he says, my sheep, they hear my voice and they follow me. He says, I give them eternal life <clears throat> and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. I imagine him going, no one <laughs> will snatch them out of my hand. Nobody's taken you from him. Nobody can steal that from us. Nothing in this life, no hardship, no test, no experience can take us out of the hand of the God of the universe. That's how serious he is and how serious and real our faith is. We step into that and we just, this is the, here's how good God is, is what he says, when you're his, you'll hear his voice. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where like, I don't know if I can hear God's voice. Hey, listen, he's speaking. He's speaking. If you're his, truly his, he's speaking. And he isn't going he isn't playing games. He's ready to speak. And he said, they're going to know what my heart is. And I can guarantee you this. Nothing's going to take them out of my hand. And I love, just in case you're like, really? I love what he says after that. Because he goes, my father who has given them, that's you to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. It's good, like, just in case you didn't think that I could keep you, guess what? My father, who's greater than all, no one's snatching him out of his hand. That's you. You call on Jesus, you're locked in. Ain't nobody stealing you. I, I think this is kind of a beautiful, but kind of a little bit of a frank sentiment, but not even I, in my stupidity, can snatch myself from the father's hands, right? Right? Because sometimes you're going, I think I'm the dingling that's trying to, to jump out. You ain't jumping out, okay? I'm the one that, amen. I'm the one that sometimes makes what feels like some really broken and poor decisions. And it feels like I'm doing everything I can to leap out of his hand. And the father's just going, nope. Because here's the truth. And this is what we said last week. I don't unadopt my children. I don't unadopt. I, I, I bring my children in and they don't leave my family. And that's the beauty of what it means. When I trust in Jesus, I am secure because my father is secure. Like you breathe today, church. God's so much more for you than you could ever be for yourself. 
And he's wanting to anchor that in our hearts. And you know why? Because the more we're anchored in that, the more we live out of the truth of who he's made us to be. The more we're secure we are in God's radical love over us, the less we cower in shame in the corner and the more we start to live out as sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's what the point of being secure in Jesus is, is to make us free to live, free to love our families and run our businesses, free to be faithful representations of his goodness and glory everywhere we go, showing the heart of the Father. Ephesians 4 says, in him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, I love that word, who's the guarantee of your inheritance until we actually acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Meaning that God's glory is on the line in his guarantee. And I think that's just cool. And to put it in really theological terms. God's so serious about you that he sent his son to pay a price for you that you could never pay on your own. And he ransomed us and brought us into his family. And then he stamped us with a seal that is unmistakable. And he did all of that for his glory. And his glory will never be degraded, ever. Not once. It stands above all things in all creation. You and I are anchored on the glory of God. So he's a good father and he adopts and he doesn't unadopt his children. And because of that, we just get to live, right? We can love ourselves because we're loved. And we can love our neighbor because there's more than enough love to go around. And we can live with confidence when we fall short. Why? Because we have a father who's going to see us through. We can live with purpose. Because God takes our weak partnership and he makes amazing eternal things with it. It's incredible. We get to live worry-free because the thing that is most important in our lives is anchored and it's secure. What time? And so here's the question. Why is it that we wrestle so often with feeling not secure? Why is it that we often seem to walk at a distance from the Lord or keep him at an arm's length because of the insecurities we feel from our own brokenness and disappointments and where, ways we've fallen short? Why, do, why does that happen? One, because there's an enemy. And here's... Hear this, the number one tool of the enemy is deception. And the way this deception works is what the enemy does is he finds the truth and then he just twists the truth just a little 
so that it's no longer a truth, but it's a lie. But it sounds like it's the truth. And then we find ourselves locked down in uh, an untruth that's bringing destruction. And so those lies go, you know, uh, specifically and especially with the respect to what it means to be secure. It goes a couple of ways. One, it says, well, listen, everybody else can be secure in here except you. I mean, that's good for all these other people, but nobody knows what you've done. Like, that's true. That's actually true. Everybody can be secure, just not you. That's one of the lies. Or, and I'll just be honest, this is a hard one. One of the lies is, yeah, you're secure in Christ. You just keep doing you. You just kind of keep doing whatever you want to do. Because there is an exchange that we make when we call on Jesus to be Lord, King, and Savior. It means he gets to be Lord and King and Savior. And for those of us who grew up in the South, we all grew up in Christian homes. Some of them were great. Some of them were not so great. And you can show up and do the church thing, um, but not really know and walk with Jesus. And the enemy would just love to keep going, no, you just keep living however you want. You're good. And it's not true. And the Lord's saying, I want you to be good and I want you to be secure. But there's an exchange we get to make with him and he calls us in. The enemy wants to deceive people into believing that they're in Christ when they're not. And the Lord is just shouting, don't be in that place. Come and be in an authentic and real relationship where you hear my voice and you know my heart. And you are rock solid and secure with me. And so Paul says something funny. He says to the uh, Corinthian church, his second letter, Corinthian church in verse, in chapter 13, he says, he says, I want you to examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Or don't you realize that uh, this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now, this is not what we would call a coffee mug scripture, okay? I promise you none of you have a coffee mug scripture. You're like hosting coffee. You're like, here. You know, nobody's doing that, okay? This is, a, this is one of those like, okay, he's being serious about this. And what he's encouraging, if not even really commanding, is just to occasionally in our lives just to take a step back and say, Lord, is this thing real? Am I really in you? And are you really in me? Why? Right? For the same old reason that you and I had to take those tests before, because there's a king who's wanting you to be sure, to be anchored, to not walk battered around. By the way, listen to me. If you're a son or a daughter of the king. He, what he does not want you is hammered by the waves and the wind of the, the, the culture and the world around us. They want you anchored. And so Paul's simply saying, hey, the best way to do that is just ask the question. Let's just go ahead and ask the question. Get it anchored down deep inside, right? Scripture's never gonna call us to live in fear or anxiety or right, constant worry or doubt, right? This idea of examining, it's not something that we have to do every day, but there's moments where we just wanna say, Lord, I wanna remember who you are and what you've done in my life. 
In fact, I think the point of Paul even pointing to the idea of examining our hearts is just to begin to bring a reassurance when all the world is chaotic for us to be able to sit down and go, no, I'm assured. The world may be chaotic, but I'm not. And to have that anchored truly deep down. I love what Jesus says, because he says, listen, when you're, in, when you're with me in a relationship with me, then uh, it starts to show up in your life. Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, every healthy tree bears fruit and the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And what he says in verse 20 is, listen, you'll be recognized by the fruit in your life. What he's saying is, when this thing is real and authentic, then something begins to shift and change. And so, I, and I, by the way, I love that he doesn't, he doesn't say, if you wanna know if you're authentic and real, just compare yourself to Spence and then you'll know. Just find the preacher on the platform. In fact, listen, comparison is the tool of the devil. He didn't say, well, look at your life and then if you're as good a husband as that guy or if you're as good as a kid or a wife or employee, then you're in. What he just says is, no, I want you to be in a relationship with me and when there's thriving relationship, something's gonna start welling up in you and you'll begin to bear fruit. And that fruit is gonna look like for you differently than it looks like for someone else, but I'm, I'm, I'm calling you into a place to trust me in that. Comparison's the enemy's game. God just wants you and he wants a heart that's anchored. And so what does it look like to test ourselves truly? Um, and in fact, I'll have our team come up because we're gonna finish this morning. So what does it look like to test ourselves? Here's what I think it means. I think when Paul is asking that or calling forward to the church, here's what I think he was saying. I want you and I'm calling you to have a real and authentic conversation with a father, a good father. And, and when we have that conversation, we get to just ask a few core questions. And so I actually just threw a few questions that we can all ask when it's time just to get a refresher and say, am I, am I, is my heart anchored? And here are the questions I think we can ask the Father. Father, just first, can I acknowledge and just know that I'm broken in sin apart from you? That without you, I'm a total mess. Can I acknowledge that and just have this conversation with the Father? Right, because what does Romans say? Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, colossally fallen short. We just happen to serve a massive, colossal God who saves. And we can ask the Father, Father, do I really trust that Jesus and Jesus alone is the Savior, King of my life, and I've chosen to follow him? Have that conversation with him. I love Acts chapter four. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's, this thing is Jesus. This is Jesus. 
And so when we're going through this examination, these are the questions we get to ask. I love this question. Father, is my love growing for you? Is my love growing for you? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what Jesus said. Father, do I desire to trust you and to obey you with my life and with my choices? I love when Jesus just puts it right on the line. He's talking with his, his boys and he just says, if you love me, you'll obey me. And then he flips it and he also says, by the way, if you obey me, then you love me. Now, I'm just gonna be real honest because there's a few of you in here, maybe more than a few that are perfectionists and we can get hung up on this question because you go, well, I wanna obey the Lord, but I, f- I fail a lot and I feel like a failure. And in fact, what I hear in my ears is that I'm a failure because I've fallen short. And I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna take that lie and stab it in the heart. There's one perfect one who obeyed perfectly. And he's who we put our heart and hope and trust in. And there will be none of us who do it perfectly, but there is a heart that God's looking for that says, Lord, I wanna obey you more today than I did yesterday. And I may fall today, but I wanna stand up and I wanna continue to follow you again and trust you. And then this question, last couple of questions. Father, do I see the fruit of your spirit growing in me? Just your presence in me and changing me. Fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We get to grow in these things. And some of them you're really good at and some of them you're really bad at. And you're saying, Jesus, I need more. I need more of you in me. And then finally, we'll just finish with this one. Father, is there a real faith in me in my daily life apart from just showing up here on Sundays? And I think this is a good question just to go. I think it's so important for us to come together. I want you to hear that. I love coming together. It's one of my favorite things. But church, there is more Jesus has for you than this. And it happens Monday through Saturday. And he wants you with him. It says, Jesus says, if if anyone would come after me, I want him to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what it means to follow Jesus. No one's done it perfect, not one yet. But he wants us to be secure and anchored in his radical love. Nothing can separate us, not our failure, not our shortcomings not in the ways we disobey, but he wants a heart that wants to continue to reach for him and know him and walk with him. And that's what God has for us. So I'm just gonna pray that God would just begin to anchor us today in a fresh way this morning. Would you guys pray with me? We're just gonna pray right now. Father, would you begin to do this? We're just gonna, and we're moving to just a moment of worship. We're gonna take communion together. 
in just a moment. But Lord, right now, Lord, we bring these things to you and we open up our hands just to say, Lord, would you just anchor me again in your truth? I am secure. In Christ, I am secure. The world may be upside down, but Lord, I am secure. Would you just make that declaration? If you're a follower of Jesus here, make that declaration. I choose to stand in the security of my Father. Not my abilities, not the places I fell short this week, not in the ways that I disappointed myself or my family or my employees or my employers. I'm just choosing right now to stand on this one thing. My Father is secure, therefore I'm secure. And I receive. Thank you, God. I receive your security. I receive the fact that I'm a father and a, uh, that I'm a, do- a son or a daughter. And I have a good father in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that no one can snatch us out of your hand. No one. And therefore, we are secure forever. I want to encourage you uh, in the chair in front of you, you'll find a communion packet. If you would, you can go ahead and get it ready. We're just gonna hold on to it for a minute, but you can, there's two layers. You can take the top layer off for the bread and then the bottom layer for the cup. You can just prepare those now. Our team is just gonna sing, will you guys worship this moment as we just declare the goodness of God and our need for him and our trust in him. Let's worship. As long as life 
getting out of the broken place of death but you made a way and you made us alive you made us yours we celebrate this morning Jesus that we're in a new covenant with you and no one can steal that from us and I thank you that today we're anchored in that truth we worship you those back in the chair back in front of you and then would you guys stand as we finish this morning just want to pray the goodness of God over you his presence as we go walking secure church let's walk secure in knowing 
that our King has us forever. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, the Savior of the world, King of the universe, we pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. We'll have prayer partners down front. Blessings, guys. There's coffee in the foyer. We'd love to pray with you. See you next week.